What up, world? How's everybody doing today? That mic is off the chain right now. Whoa. That's uh, DMCA. Great song. But DMCA for sure. Hold on. Let me uh, adjust my gain real quick. Um, it was like super low earlier. Okay. How's that? I think that's a little bit better. I don't know. I'm an idiot and I changed mics again. And then I have another mic to change. So. First and foremost, how's everybody doing? I know. It's been a while. I apologize. That's on me. It's on me. Um, basically, I uh, got a new job, which is awesome. Super excited about it. Um, so I've been doing that for about three weeks now. And, uh, it's cool. It's, uh, it's fun. It's an interesting job. So, um. Uh, hard part about that is it's normal, you know, eight to five jobs. So trying to find time to stream. I think what we're going to be doing is Wednesday, Friday, Sunday nights. So it's a very special night for me to be here. Um, and then hopefully what we'll do is podcasts on Sunday nights. I think the most amount of people will be able to, to tune in live and listen to that. Um, on on uh, Sunday nights, so that's that's my goal. Let me go in here and make sure there's no double sound coming through. There is not. Sweet. Okay. All right. So <sighs> one one of the things that I really didn't want to do is. Um, get super political on my podcast. And here we have two political podcasts in a row. So I promise the next like 27 or so won't be political. I apologize. Now, my goal is not to convince you one way or another that my side, my opinion is, is the correct side. Uh, my goal is to enlighten you here and there to some facts, um, some some truths, um, and then I, I I just as I would as 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 a teacher I would try and keep my opinion out of it as much as I can. But you know, much like last week, this week my my opinion is going to come in, and 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 when it's going to come in is times where um it's it's you'll see me get more emotional um about a particular topic because emotion sways at the end of the day emotion sways um you know some of you have heard me tell you the story about 
a time that I was in a, a faculty debate and I had these brilliant, logical, constitutionally based, backed up by Supreme Court case law, just perfect argument um, that nobody could respond to with any form of logic. And so what the other side ended up doing is they went to a motion and they appealed to every person's emotional core. And at the end of the day, uh, they won the argument because they were able to sway more people to their side. Um, and, and it was entirely based off emotion. So emotion's important. And, and for those of, again, for those of you that have had me in class, um, I, I, I've always said that emotion is the thing that sells like emotion is why juries are stupid, right? That's why juries are stupid is because of emotions, uh, because a good lawyer, if they're going in front of a jury and if you watch the, the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial at all, you, you saw that Johnny Depp's lawyer at the end of the, the day was more charismatic and was able to appeal to more emotions than Amber Heard's attorney. Their arguments were about the same. The legal arguments were about the same. Um, but at the end of the day, the emotion won in that particular case, you know, and, and maybe we got to the answer of who is the better actor, Johnny Depp or Amber Heard. So, um, there's that too. Um, but again, today's, today's topic is, is high, highly controversial. It's, it's the, the problem actually with me saying that is it's actually not as controversial as, as some people make it out to be. Okay. Um, it's, it's something that a, a majority of Americans actually want now, whether or not they can agree on it, that's a different story altogether, but it's something that a lot of people want, um, and that is, uh, gun control, right? So we're, we're in the throes of a um epidemic of uh massive gun violence okay and so the qualification and there's no real legal definition for this um because there's enough variations in it but but certain uh organizations will define a mass shooting as as a shooting where uh more than four or four or more people excluding uh the perpetrator uh have died Okay, so that's that, or, or been shot rather, not died. So that's the qualification of a mass shooting. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, um, you know, we've had a lot of of really horrific, hor horrific uh, mass shootings in the past couple months, and um, you know, I kind of, uh, I kind of. Um, I, I had thought about, you know, starting this podcast by going over and naming each one of the victims. Um, there was a victim of this gun violence. Um, and I kind of, I decided not to, because I didn't want it to sound like I was, you know, 
stealing their names for my glory, you know, and and I, I hope you will go out there and, and look up each person that has, you know, succumbed to this epidemic um, and, and give them their, the, you know, the reverence that they deserve um, and, and, and do that in whatever, whichever format you want to. But nevertheless, um, you know, this, this is a problem that America is facing. And the question is, well, I, I mean, there's a lot of questions um, from, you know, what is the root cause of all of this? Why does it keep happening? Why is it not preventable? Um, why does it kind of have a cyclical effect to it? You know, mass shootings occur a lot more than you'd think that they do. Um, but the severity of them varies. And you, you've noticed probably as I have that it's been kind of cyclical when these massive shootings, especially at places like schools occur. And so, um, we're, we're trying to get to the root of the problem. What's the root of the problem? And and everybody, uh, is going to give you a different opinion on what they think the root of the problem is, whether it's, you know, education, whether it's poverty, whether it's mental health issues, whether it's physical health issues, whether it's the availability of guns and ammunition, whether it's, you know, background checks or no background checks or whatever, um, whether it's, and these are some of the more absurd arguments I've heard, you know, non-nuclear families, um, you know, video game violence or, or movie violence or all of that thing, you know, so a lot of people have laid blame in a lot of different places. So where does the blame uh, belong? And that's a phenomenal question. And there's a couple of different approaches that you can take to try and get to what is the actual root problem of that. And that is look at what is most correlative to the causation. Okay. Now that's a weird statement. And for all of you that are listening, that are statisticians are going to punch me in the face next time you see me. Because those are two inherently different things, right? Correlation does not equal causation. That means just because two things happen to coincide with each other doesn't mean that there's a causation. And so you have to find different factors that get to the root of causation. Well, in things like this, uh, mass shootings, namely, you have to look at those correlations and try and figure out which correlations are the biggest causation can be tied to being the causation of what the actual um, root of the problem is. And to be honest, in, in so far as I've researched into this, um, you know, there's a lot of problems, right? The, the, the root problem is a gigantic ball of roots, okay? It's a mass of roots. Um, you know, my, my dad's a, a botanist, so... I think of, of different types of trees. And, and so if you ever look at the, the root system of like a cactus, it's just this like thick ball of roots that are really small uh, and they don't go out super far or, you know, which is unlike an oak tree, which will have roots that can reach, you know, thousands of feet. So there's a difference in the kind of roots that we have. And, and so in, in a case like this, it's like that ball of roots that there are so many fundamental problems that taking a, a, a one 
problem fix approach is ineffective. Okay, that's the problem. Taking taking that approach is never going to work. Okay, and so I'm going to present to you, um, you know, in my opinion, some of the best best methods to help prevent this kind of stuff in the future. Um, what that path could look like, what what I think the best path looks like, um, and it may not be the best path. I don't know, and and I'm always you know willing to to say that uh, you know I was wrong. You know, I when when uh, the Phoenix Suns drafted DeAndre Ayton, I wish they would have drafted Marvin Bagley the third um, uh, over Luka Doncic or DeAndre Ayton, and I admit that I was wrong. You know, Doncic was the pick. Um, so I'm I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong if I if I have to. So um again, my opinion. Okay, this is my opinion. Um and again, just because this is my overarching opinion doesn't mean that it's not grounded in facts in different places. Um so you know, I, I I one more kind of disclaimer before I completely go off on this. Um, I am not, again, somebody who likes to try and impress my political opinions upon other people. I want to give people reason and, and rationality to why I think the way I think, why I believe the way I believe. Uh, and not only that, but, you know, it's not my place to change anybody's opinion on a moral issue, um, forcibly change somebody's opinion. Now, my goal is to hopefully educate you into a way that your opinion is either more founded in whatever your opinion is, or hopefully you change it to, you know, maybe what is more morally right um, just through the, the virtue of logic. But if you have kids or because I know a lot of you are, are, are younger, when you have kids, you're going to learn this real quick. There are times where no matter how much logic you spit out, it's not getting across. <laughs> so it doesn't work every single time. Okay. So, you know, if that's something that, that you don't want to hear, uh, getting in and, and hearing my political opinion on some stuff, you can stop listening. You won't hurt my feelings. I promise. Um, I would implore you to just listen and pay attention because again, I'm not yelling at anybody. All right. I'm not, that's not my job. I'm just telling you, here's how I think. Okay. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that the premises that I give you that lead to my conclusion are, are valid and sound. Uh, and that, that will help you understand why I believe the way I believe. Okay. And you know, if you want to talk about what you want, what you believe, that's great. It's not that hard to start a podcast in today's world. The one thing I won't do is I promise I won't preach to you. Um, and again, that doesn't mean I'm gonna, gonna get uh, not gonna get emotional about it. But, anyways, so let's get into what do I think the root causes of this are? And and there's basically three things I think. Okay. Uh. One, the most important thing is education, okay? And I, I've got a lot of points to drop on education, um, and I might have to dedicate an entire podcast to just talking about the problems with the education. 
Problem number two is the access to mental health, right? As a society, we've made leaps and bounds in understanding um, uh, mental health um, and addressing those issues, but there are still some stigmas and, and there's still some places where we're not sufficient in our approach to recognizing, to empathizing, to um, helping people with mental health issues that may not even be aware of the fact that they have mental health issues, right? Um, and, you know, when I was growing up, we would use a really harsh word to describe that. And, and you know, we would classify everybody within the realm of has mental problems with that word. And that was wrong. And we've moved on past that. And that's great. I'm, I'm very happy that we've done that, you know? Um, and that shows the progress that we have made, but there's still a lot of ways that we need to go. And so the third prong is obviously the access to, um, guns specifically and ammunition. All right. And that's what I'm going to focus this podcast on is that third prong. So, you know, if you're listening to this, just know that there's those three prongs and I don't have time in trying to keep this to an hour <laughs> to address all of those issues because they're all an hour, you know, discussion, uh, in of their self. So, um, so I'm going to focus on that third one and that's, you know, the, the issues surrounding gun control. Right. And seemingly there's two camps. Okay. There's seemingly two camps about gun control. There's the camp that says we have an absolute right under the second amendment to bear arms and the government can't take any guns away from us because they qualified as arms, which is not an incorrect assessment or definition. And then there's seemingly the, uh, the other group that says, um, we want to take all the guns away from all the people and nobody should have guns. All right. If you go to any major media source, they're going to tell you that those are the two particular parties that exist. And that's not true, right? Most people are right smack dab in the middle. And it's within that, that 45 to 55% is, is the area where there's the most disagreements, right? And so, um, <laughs> for as long as I've been teaching, which has been about eight years now, Whenever I go over the second amendment, I always go through a little bit of an exercise and that exercise is, um, you know, where's the line. Okay. And so I start off with, okay, under the second amendment, do you believe that citizens, private individual citizens should be able to own nuclear weapons? And it's not even close. It's 99.9% .9 of all students agree and my students have varied in age considerably. Okay. So this isn't just saying like, you know, 18 to 20 year olds, it's 18 to the age of students that probably don't want me giving their age out. So I won't. Um, and so it's 99.9% .9 of people say, all right, individuals should not own nuclear weapons. That seems like a terrible idea for many reasons. And so that 0.01%, which is usually a group of people that I'm trying to eke out of them their <laughs> admittance to um, 
to try and say, yes, I, I'm one of those people that thinks that we should be able to own nukes as individuals. And a few of them will play along. So even the, that 0.1% that is saying that, yeah, they agree with that statement, um, are doing it to play devil's advocate. I think I've probably only ever had two students that legitimately believed um, that that private individual citizens should own nuclear weapons. So it's a fascinating discussion, right? And so then we kind of move down. Okay, well, what about... Should a private individual citizen be able to own a Predator drone with Hellfire missiles? Okay. Again, most people say no, and the percentages start to go up. Even when we get to fully automatic weapons, it's still about 70 to 75% of students say that um, private individuals should not be able to own fully automatic weapons, um, at least not outright. Okay. Um, and that's fascinating to me because for what it's worth, both colleges that I've taught at, uh, tend to be very conservative college. Okay. Conservative leaning colleges. Um, and so I for sure went in with the hypothesis that when I got to that point, it, that's where it would flip completely. And it, it didn't. And then that's surprising to me. So I even think that most Americans are on the, the train of, yeah, I, I still don't think it should be legal to own fully automatic weapons. Okay. And then you get into semi-automatic assault rifles, right? And that's where we're at in America today. Should we prohibit ownership or should we restrict ownership on semi-automatic assault type rifles? Okay. Now don't go in the comments and be like, AR doesn't stand for assault rifle. I fucking know that. It stands for Armalite, okay? Because they made the original AR-15. You don't have to give me the history. Look, I am a gun owner, <laughs> okay? So I'm a gun owner. So again, stop giving me, don't give me crap in the comments about not understanding what I'm talking about. I do. Um, and if I don't, I'm more than well I'm more than happy to go out there and research it and ask people that I trust their opinion on things like guns. Um that that are responsible individuals that and that know a lot about them. So um but I, I've actually taken college courses on guns, uh, and I actually got credit for it. And I, I bet you all wish you could have taken that class. Um, but it was really cool. So, um, you know, it's something that I've always tried to be educated about. So, you know, in the, in the realm of, of the world, we're looking at, you know, should we restrict, uh, semi-automatic assault style rifles? And, and to me, assault style means that they fire a particular type of ammunition that is meant for stopping humans more than animals. Okay, because in reality, there's not a whole lot that you can use five, five, six to hunt with, um, and I think that's two, two, three is the the analog. Um, you know, there's not a lot that you're hunting with that. I mean, you could probably go deer hunting with that, but you know, it, I there's better choices. If you ask any real hunter, there's better choices out there for ammunition. So that's. When, when people refer to, to assault-style rifles, that's what I'm thinking of. And having low magnification scopes or holographic sights, laser pointers, that kind of stuff that's really meant for home defense, okay? 
at the end of the day, if you ask, uh, you know, somebody that owns guns and, and especially people that own assault style rifles or AR class rifles, whether it's AR 15s or AR 10s, whatever, you know, they'll tell you that, yeah, ultimately the, the goal of having an AR is for home defense, right? That's the goal. So, um, <clears throat> there's some that are going to make the argument for hunting, but I, first of all, that's an unnecessary argument to make. And, and second of all, it's just not true, right? There's, there's better things that you can use for hunting. So let's look at what the constitution says, um, to this fact, and let's try and kind of parse it out in, in the intent of the founders of the, 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 the founding fathers of the United States of America and what they intended for the second amendment. And, you know, there's a lot of different arguments that exist on the second amendment. So and the second amendment says, um, the, uh, the security of a free state, uh, sorry, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state um, the rights of individuals to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. <laughs> okay, so I'm repeating that. I might have missed a few words here or there or something, but I'm pretty sure I, I nailed it. So that's the language of the Second Amendment. And so what you see in the Second Amendment is you have two major clauses. You have the first one, which says that a well-regulated militia is necessary for the, the security of a free state. And then you have the second amendment or the second clause of the second amendment, which is uh, the right to keep the rights of individuals to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So when we lawyers or linguists or English teachers are looking at the constitution, what we're trying to parse out is which clause is the operative clause and which clause is the supportive clause. Meaning, which clause is intended to be the meat of the sentence, and which clause is meant to be there to back up the meat of the sentence? Okay, so that's what we're looking at. So you really have two options, right? Your first option is the first clause is the operative clause, and the second clause uh, is the supportive clause. Or you can say that the second clause is the operative clause and the first clause is there to support and bolster up the second clause. All right. So what do we know about this? Well, a lot of times order matters, right? Order is important. When you make a list of things, typically people make a list, uh, in, in, uh, from most important to least important. If I tell you to name me the top five movie movies right now, you're going to go from your favorite movie down. Okay. Now, if you're a clickbait Buzzfeed type company, you're going to do the reverse because you want people to read all the way to the bottom. Okay. So different purposes will, uh, allow for different rationale behind, um, ordering things. Okay. And to be a hundred percent honest, while I'm somewhat familiar with it, I've never actually, uh, read, uh, Robert's order, uh, or rules of order. So, um, you know, maybe there's something in there that can help us. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but, um, but the second amendment with those clauses, we have to define which one is more important than the other. And after 2006, we could make the argument that both are equally important and they both stand alone. Um, 
But we have about 170 years of history. Well, actually more than that, about 230 years of history to go through before we get to that point. Um, and real quick, I need to go get some water because I'm dying of thirst. So I will be right back. All right, we are back. Sorry about that. Um, I needed water because I was thirsty. And then I proceed to just choke on the water, make myself more thirsty. So I'm an idiot. All right. So we were talking about the Second Amendment. Which clause is more important? All right. So let's go back and look at the history of the militia. Okay. So before you go and tell me that I'm just some liberal nut job that wants to take all the guns away. Because some people will. Um, this history comes out of Justice Scalia's mouth. Okay? And if you're a conservative and you don't know who Justice Scalia is, go do some research. Okay? So we'll look at the history of the militia. Now, the militia is mentioned quite a bit in the Constitution. Actually, it's mentioned in Articles 1 and 2. Um, and I believe there's one other article... I mean, Article 4 kind of references it indirectly, but anyway, so the militia is talked about quite a bit in the Constitution. And if we think about what is the constitutional definition of the militia in today's world, that is the National Guard. Okay, the National Guard is the, um, the militia that the Constitution talks about. And uh, if you don't know what the National Guard is, basically every state has the right to raise a National Guard, which is something that can be used to help protect the state if the military can't come in and help. Um, a lot of times what they're doing is helping with natural disasters and that kind of stuff. Um, but they can also come in if there's riots or stuff like that. Um, and theoretically, they're supposed to be beholden to the authority of, of each state that they're part of. But there is authority for the National Guard to be nationalized and for the president to take over the power of the uh, National Guard. And that's something that is supposed to be really difficult to do. Um, so there's a really fascinating show on Netflix, and I really wish they would have had one more season of it. Um, but the show is called Designated Survivor. And the big reason why I like that show as much as I do is they actually did a really good job of addressing a lot of fundamental constitutional questions and for the most part they get it right but one of the places they get it wrong is that uh spoiler alert he has to basically nationalize the national guard at one point and he how he does it is probably illegal um and and definitely not how it would really happen in real life um but anyways that's the national guard that's the militia that the constitution is talking about no it didn't always exist like that in essence, a, a militia is just a military force for a state. Okay, that's what a militia means. It's a military force for a state. You go way back, militia just means military, and there's really in, very little classical distinction of an army and a militia when you go back to like Roman Greece and that kind of stuff. Um, there are probably technical definitions that people are that are smarter than me can give you, but for the most part, at that point in history, they were about the same. But as time grew on, militias tended to be more 
localized and a little bit smaller. So why did the United States need a militia? Why did they put it into the Constitution? Why was it part of the Articles of Confederation? So on and so forth. And um, the big reason is, is, is when we went from the Articles of Confederation to the U.S. Constitution, we changed the framework of the government. We went from a very small federal government that had very little power to a very strong federal government that had far more power than the states had individually. Well, the states wanted to retain some of their rights. So that's kind of part of why there's militias. But the big reason why there was militias is that um, at the beginning of the United States, uh, from even before... The, the Declaration of Independence and the beginning of the Revolutionary War, which actually started about a year before the Declaration of Independence or more, depending on who you read or talk to. Um, states needed militias because the federal military wasn't very big. Okay. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, and they kind of vary pretty wildly, but at minimum, uh, British troops outnumbered U.S. troops about a hundred to one. Uh, I think that's kind of an average. In some places, it was you know closer to one to one. In other places, it was closer to five hundred to one. So we were vastly outnumbered just in terms of the military. Well, not only that, but how well does a military operate if they can't get food? If they can't eat, if they don't have new clothing, if they don't have new weapons. So we needed people to ensure that the economy of the United States continued to function. And so what states would do is they'd pass some sort of a militia act and we would say, basically, if you're from the ages of, they, you know, 16 to 45, well, 35 at that time, if your age is basically 16 to 35, and I've seen it as low as eight, and that's that's very unofficial, but I've seen as kids as young as eight in militias at the time, then you were part of the militia, and you had requirements. Um, like for in New York, you had to have your own rucksack, you had to have your own sleeping bag, tent, canteen. And one of the requirements was you had to have your own firearm. New York was not going to provide that for you. So today, us men, us males, uh, well, sexually males, not gender-based males, but based on sex males, um, have to register for the selective service, which is registering for the draft. So if at any point we get into World War III because, I don't know, Putin decides he wants to just start launching nukes everywhere, um, then we'll probably have a draft and, and we'll be, um, you know, called into military service. So that's, that's kind of what, how that system was modified. So instead of being a mandatory member of a militia that could be called up at any time, we now became part of the, the national military instead, but you could theoretically get called to the national guard, under the auspices of the draft. Um, uh, so it's not just necessarily the army um, that can draft you. There are ways that you could be be drafted into the National Guard too. 
So anyways, they existed, militias existed because they had to be the first line of defense. They had to be the ones that were there um, working on the ranches, working on the farms, working in the bakeries, working as gunsmiths, working on you know textiles and clothes and all of that stuff because we had to make sure that our economy continued to function because what's the point of having a country if it has no economy? And two, we had to make sure that we were supplying our actual military, right? The military doesn't own farms. They they can't own farms. They can't, you know, that would be a waste of time and waste of money. So they rely on people to go out and, and continue those jobs. So basically what they would do is they would go out and they would work on their farm. And then they would say, hey, there's a bunch of people in these red coats that are marching towards us. Is that something that we should be concerned about? And they would say, yes, that is. Uh, a quick Billy run into town and ring the bell, and then they'll send somebody out to go and and uh, alert the the troops that the British are coming. Right? So that story sound familiar at all? Um, but the militia would then be rounded up. The local militia would be then rounded up, and they would kind of put up the first line of defense to stall the advancing of the British until troops could come back. So a fascinating story about this is that Vermont actually has a unique right in, uh, and, and this is an agreement that they have with the United States to, to actually um, secede from the Union without question, without punishment, without any problem whatsoever because of the debts that they had in the Revolutionary War. And a lot of that was from militia members. Um, so it's kind of a fascinating thing that a lot of people don't know that. Theoretically, Texas has the same right, but for completely different reasons. And I would argue that their right to secede is not actually as enforceable as Vermont's is. Um, but it, it's just kind of a funny story. So we, we, we kind of come back to the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment then means... At that point, it, what it meant was that the first clause was the more important clause and the second clause was the supporting clause. We had to have a militia because we had to make sure that our country was safe. We had to make sure that our economy was safe. Um, but we also had to make sure that the people that were part of the militia had guns. Well, we didn't have a big government. We couldn't afford to buy everybody guns. So people were required to go out by law to buy weapons uh, to defend themselves in case of an invasion. And that right there, that last clause is very important. The idea is to protect from invasion. Okay, invasion has a very specific definition and that means that somebody foreign is coming in, a non-citizen, a country People coming from a country that is not the United States and they're invading the United States. They're coming in to the house of the United States. Okay. And so that does have a very specific legal definition. All right. So from the very early days, it really was the, the operative clause was the first one that, that we had to have a militia and then in order to have a militia, guess what? Those people had to have guns, right? So that's 
most of the purpose of the Second Amendment. Now, yeah, I've heard a lot of people argue, well, it was put in there so that we could fight off an oppressive government. Okay, yes, there was about three people that were on the Constitutional Committee that made that argument for the Second Amendment. And the irony in how they presented that to the Constitutional Committee um, was that it created a Second Amendment that would have ultimately allowed slaves to be freed uh, because it would require militia service or military service and it required all people. It didn't clarify. And so basically, once a slave went and served for the mil- under the military or for the militia, then they would become free. And because of that language, those same senators or those same, sorry, uh, members of the Constitutional Committee that were like, we want this to, to protect against tyranny, states' rights, they voted against their own um, constitutional amendment because it would have allowed slaves to become free. So kind of an interesting story. Um, so it's not completely untrue. And then there's the other part that, you know, King George would do this. He would, and, and not just King George, but many other Kings in the United Kingdom would do this when they would hear, um, that somebody didn't like them. They would go and have their weapons taken away. Right. And most of these people weren't intending on using their weapons for defense. They were just using it to kill foxes and rabbits and, you know, whatever British people do. I don't know if you have to kill tea to drink it, but maybe you do. Um, and so that's, that's what King George would do. And we wanted to make sure that, that no, um, you know, leader of the United States could kind of do the same thing. So there is some foundational basis in the history and the underpinnings of the second amendment, um, to suggest that, yeah, part of why the second amendment was written the way it was, was to ensure uh, that the government cannot uh, come or turn around and take guns from somebody. Okay. So now let's move on to our next semantic discussion. All right. What is the difference between a weapon, an arm, and a gun? Okay. So this speaker, this Bluetooth speaker that I'm holding up, uh, and if you're just listening, you can't see it, but. Just trust me, I'm holding up a Bluetooth speaker. Bluetooth speaker, this is a weapon. Why? A weapon depends on the intent of the person using the thing. Okay? So when I hear people making an argument that guns are tools, um, well, I don't necessarily disagree with them. I think they are, they are tools in the right context. Um, they kind of screw up their own argument because then you're relying on the intent of the user and that may not be beneficial. Okay. But I'll, I'll circle back around to that one. Okay. So a weapon depends on the intent of the user, not on the intent of the object itself. An arm is something that is dependent on the intent of the thing itself, not on the intent of the, um, the user. Okay. So if somebody makes an argument that a weapon or that, that a gun is a weapon and not an arm, well, then you no longer have any constitutional protections over them because there's no constitutional protection to have a weapon. Okay. So it's important 
that if you are somebody that is hardlined, we have the right to own any guns that we want, and nobody should be able to come along with them, please don't refer to them as tools, because you're then fucking your own argument, okay? So, that's an arm. Now, a gun, okay? A gun really has a lot of different definitions, so I'm going to use the most basic definition, okay? A gun is something that shoots a projectile um, that uh, using some sort of device that, caught, that triggers an explosion and it contains that explosion and directs the energy onto an object that shoots out a defined barrel, okay? Now, again, you might be one of my students or friends that is, you know, absolutely loves all their guns that I come and ask you questions about guns and may tell me that I'm completely wrong. And you're probably... Correct, but that is the most direct definition of a gun, right? If we look at what the definition of a gun is under the law today, there's a lot of questions about that because there's some ATF guidance that actually came out under President Trump that said um, that lower receivers were considered guns. Um, and that's important. Okay, that's a very important thing because there were a lot of people um, that were selling lower receivers without uh, an FFL. And um, when they were doing that, uh, it was technically illegal. Um, but there was prior guidance that suggested that the lower receivers were in fact not guns and the, therefore you didn't need an FFL to, to, to um, sell it. And so that was that was kind of funny um, to 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 see that that change. And so there's a bunch of really interesting lawsuits going on right now that are trying to define a what exactly is a lower receiver. Yeah, I know that sounds stupid, but that's part of the legal argument. And two, if a, le a lower receiver is really what is classified as a gun, um, because that changes restrictions considerably. Um, if you're, if you're looking at the lower receiver as being the gun. Okay. Now, most typically that is where the serial number is stamped. Um, and that's where the serial number is registered. And so that's where there's some problems that come along on whether or not that's the gun, uh, or not. So, um, you know, that's, that's a huge rabbit hole. It's not worth going down at this point. Okay. So. We have these three different things. We have weapons, arms, and guns. Now, the Constitution says that we have the right to bear arms, okay? It does not say that we have the right to bear weapons. Now, we have the opportunity to own any weapons we want, but that can be restricted considerably more than anything else, okay? So, what it specifically says is that we have the right to keep and bear arms, um, and that right shall not be infringed, which is really weird language, what does that mean to infringe upon that right? Does that mean that any regulation is an infringement? If you ask some people, they're going to say yes. If you ask other people, they're going to say no. And I refer you back to my conversation and, and, and of me asking my students, should individuals be able to own nuclear weapons? Well, we call it a nuclear weapon, but really what it is, a nuclear arms. And you can't hug anybody with nuclear arms. So... That's what they are. They're actually arms. And we're all pretty comfortable saying, yeah, that's okay to regulate. Well, under the Second Amendment, 
That meets the definition of an arm. Okay. So the argument comes back to what did the founding fathers mean when they said you have the right to keep and bear arms and that right shall not be infringed. So when I talk about the two clauses, right, and which one is superior and which one's inferior, which one's the operative clause, what's the supportive clause, so on and so forth, that has brought two out, brought out two legal theories. There's the collective right to bear arms. The collective right to bear arms puts the emphasis on the first clause and says that we have the right to bear arms in order to provide for the common defense. And that the only weapons that we are allowed to own are those that are able to be provided to be used for the common self-defense. Okay. And this tended to be the more liberal version a more liberal interpretation of the second amendment. Um, and so the, the, the famous case about that is us versus Miller uh, and it's about a sawed-off shotgun and whether or not the Federal Firearms Act had a right to, to prohibit um, sawed-off shotguns. And the Supreme Court ultimately said, yes, that the Federal Firearms Act does have the right to restrict sawed-off shotguns. And part of their rationale was it doesn't serve a true purpose of the militia. Okay. And I've had infinite students come along and tell me, no, there's plenty of reasons in which you might use a sawed-off shotgun. And you're right, but I would say all of those are very, very specialized purposes. And when most citizens are using sawed-off shotguns, they're using it because they're easily concealable. You don't have to get a concealed carry permit for them at the time. Uh, and they cause massive amounts of damage up close. So um, that's the purpose for why a lot of people were using that. And that's kind of why the Supreme Court went back on what they were saying or why they justified what they were saying in that case. Okay. Sorry. I drink me a little bit of water. This is where having two people helps because then when I'm drinking water, it's not just dead silence and somebody else can kick in. So then we have the second theory of the right to bear arms. We have the individual right to bear arms and the individual right to bear arms says that the important clause, the operative clause is the second clause, the rights of individuals to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And that the uh, primary clause the, or the first clause is the one that supports that. Okay. So the case we look at for the individual right to bear arms is a case called DC versus Heller. It's a very famous opinion written by Justice Scalia. And the irony of this case is uh, going back to the last podcast, we were talking about abortion. And uh, one of the cases that I brought up was Griswold versus Connecticut. And what Griswold versus Connecticut did is it gave um, a substantive right to due process means that it was a right uh, that could not be taken away from us, even though it wasn't listed specifically in the constitution. And when we go to Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade is actually still just a privacy issue. Okay. That's how the court framed it and why they said, uh, why they decided the way they did in that particular case. Okay. So those are all privacy cases. That's an important thing. Okay. 
So substantive due process, the big problem with substantive due process, and I'm not talking about economic substantive due process. For those of you that might be attorneys listening to this, that's not what I'm talking about. That's something completely different. Um, I'm talking about genuine substantive due process that came out of um, the 1940s, 1950s, and 1960s of uh, the 14th Amendment creating the the right uh, creating rights that we all as citizens have that the federal government cannot take away from us um, without due process of law, just as if they were enumerated rights. Well, a lot of people, typically on the right side, uh, believe uh, that substantive due process rights are bullshit, that they don't exist, that the only rights individuals have are those that are guaranteed in the Constitution. Um. And, and that argument is ridiculous for a lot of different reasons. Um, but one, but that's a different discussion for a different day. Um, but what they, they claim it is, is they claim that it's legislating, legislating from the bench. And when we were talking about uh, Marbury versus Madison, you remember that was the big problem with Marbury versus Madison is it'll basically allowed this idea of quote unquote legislating from the bench. But you also know from my discussion in the, uh, the uh, oh crap, I forgot which one. And the we'll 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 just be generals in the general in the articles of the Constitution. It says, in fact, um, that uh, if you have just because you don't have some right doesn't mean that you um can't uh, it's just because it's not enumerated doesn't mean that you don't have that right. And then we go to this idea of ex post facto laws and what ex post facto laws tell us, excuse me, is that in fact, the only thing in this country that is illegal are things that have laws about them, right? Remember that discussion? Good. Me too. So the idea of legislating from the bench is kind of a stupid idea. Because when you say that something like same-sex marriage is allowed, you're not making law. You're overturning law. You're saying law is bad. You're saying that law conflicts with the fundamental ideas of our Constitution. That's not making law. That's literally the opposite. Okay? And so when I hear a lot of people talking about legislating from the bench, they're using it incorrectly. Legislating from the bench would be the court saying, no, this particular thing is in fact illegal. That's legislating from the bench. Okay. And so that gets misapplied a lot and misinterpreted a lot. So why do I bring that up? Again, a lot of conservatives, particularly conservative justice, think that most substantive to process is hogwash. And it's not that they think necessarily that those rights are bad. It's they think that the legislator should be the ones that are en enacting and enumerating those rights, not the court itself. Okay. And that's a fair argument to make. The problem is no one has ever accused the legislator of acting too quickly. So a court can actually act much quicker uh, than a legislator can. So I say all of that to say this. In D.C. versus Heller, Justice Antonin Scalia, somebody firmly against substantive due process, 
has stated that they don't like substantive due process and don't believe in it on a number of different cases in a case in case law directly specifically has said that and the entire justification for why he decided the way he did in dc versus heller is nothing more than substantive due process I'm going to let that sink in for a second. It was substantive due process. So the same rationale that passed Roe v. Wade, the same rationale that passed Griswold versus Connecticut, Brown versus Board of Education, Loving v. Virginia, uh, Lawrence v. Texas, the other Texas case whose name I can never pronounce, and I apologize so much. Uh, I wish I could. It starts with an O. Oldhausen or something like that. I'm so bad with names. All of those cases that define specific substantive due process rights that we have as Americans was the same rationale that Justice Scalia, somebody who was staunchly against all of those cases... Because he thought it was the legislator's area to do that, not the courts. Used all of that same argumentation to say that it's not a collective right to bear arms. It's an individual right to bear arms. Okay? So that means, now, what's more important because of the history of the United States because of how the militias kind of framed their laws in requiring people to have guns, that the argument that the Second Amendment pr protects an individual's right to own arms for individual self-defense, not collective self-defense, but individual self-defense, is constitutional under the Constitution through using the 14th and 9th Amendments. Now, does he ever refer to the 14th and 19th or 9th Amendment in the Constitution? No, he doesn't. But you don't, you don't have to see that, that that's what he's doing. He tries really, really hard in that case to say that that's not what he's doing, but that's what he's doing. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that he's wrong. Okay. The holding decision in that case was that um, there was this really weird ban in Washington, D.C. that basically said you couldn't own handguns, only actually said you could own handguns. You just could not apply to get a permit to get a handgun, and you had to have a permit to get a handgun. So it was weird. And so the court said that it was an unconstitutional law. Right? It was overly broad, overly strict, and it conflicted with the Second Amendment. But again, the reason why it conflicted with the Second Amendment was because over the course of American history, we all developed this right to own weapons for self-defense. Okay? Sorry. Drinking water again. So, we now have an individual right to self-defense. So does that mean... There is carte blanche for individuals in the United States to own weapons, own arms, own guns, 
and any gun that they want. No. Even Justice Scalia didn't go that far. Even the most conservative justices on this court, even Clarence Thomas, wouldn't go that far. Okay? Why? Because that's against public policy. Like I said, 99.9% of people don't want private individuals to own nuclear weapons, to own nuclear arms. Okay? 99.9% of people don't want that. And the 0.1% are mostly just playing devil's advocate. All right? So the question is, where do we draw that line in the sand? Where do we draw the line? At what point do we say this is what American citizens or anybody that is protected by the U.S. Constitution has the right to own, and these are the things that we all agree that they don't have the right to own? All right? And that's difficult to define, okay? So this is where I'm going to move into the, the part of this discussion where I get a little bit more impassioned and... um this is more of my opinion than it is fact. And so I just want to clarify that and, and make sure that that's obvious and that everybody knows that. And again, please, I'm not trying to convince you to, to come to my side politically or anything like that. I'm just telling you how I feel. And if you agree with me, great. If you don't, great. Okay. I'm not somebody who is, unless you're bigoted in any way, if you disagree with me on some of these political issues, I'm okay. I can still have friends that are maybe pro-life. I can still have friends that are, you know, less restrictive on, on, on gun restrictions than I am. You know, it, really what it comes down to is if you say you hate a certain type of people that is based on some immutable characteristics, that's kind of where I draw the line uh, and I don't want to be friends with you. But anything else in the political realm, we have to talk to each other. We're not all agree going to agree on everything. And right now, frankly, both parties are really bad at saying we want it our way and no other way. And they stomp their feet and pout and turn a circle on the Senate floor and nothing gets done. And then we all get pissed off because nothing's getting done. Right. I think most of us would prefer to actually see something done, even if it was maybe the wrong thing that was done, as long as something's actually getting done. Right. So, um, so again, this, this is kind of where I'm getting more into my opinion on uh, this matter and what I think uh, the best steps are to kind of rectify the solution and more importantly, make sure this kind of stuff doesn't happen again. And I want to reiterate, there's three prongs to this. There's the lack of education or, or not necessarily the lack of education, but the, the miseducation of people. Um, there's problems dealing with, with mental health. And then there's this, there's the access to guns and weapons or guns and ammunition, excuse me. So, um, I am somebody that thinks that the process to get a gun should be more restrictive. Like I said, I'm a gun owner and why am I a gun owner? It's not because I'm going to ever use it for self-protection. I don't hunt. The thought of killing an animal, if it's unless the only two animals I would be okay killing would be uh, a um, a quail because I fucking hate quail because they'd always wake me up in the morning, and a panda bear because I think panda bears are stupid. 
Um, outside of that, I really, I, I don't like the thought of killing animals, so I don't hunt, but I, I support hunting because hunting is actually something that's very valuable for the ecology of the planet. In a lot of ways, we're fucking up the planet from an environmental perspective. That's, you can't disagree with on with me on that fact. It's not possible. But ironically, one of the things that we're doing in a lot of places is that we're overprotecting certain animals that we shouldn't be overprotecting. And so there's areas where deer and elk and moose are massively overpopulated and bears, uh, and then in Arizona, mountain lions. And a big reason why they're so overpopulated is because one of their biggest predators was humans. And we've taken them, our, we've, we've stopped hunting a lot of those things. So I'm supportive of hunting. I think uh, hunting when, and, and fishing, uh, I do love fishing, I fly, just fly fishing. I hate lake fishing. It's boring. Um, but I, I think it's important to do those things in a responsible way because it helps us kind of keep our ecology in check. Um, and so I, I support those things. That's, that's not why I own guns. Why do I own guns? Because I, I think they're cool. And it's hard for me to say that now. Every single time one of these mass shootings happens, it gets really hard for me to say that. And the problem is most people that I meet that are really big gun fans. Every time I go into a gun store, I've given up on looking at, at gun facts online because every single article on gun facts online is trying to tell me how I should think politically. And it irritates me. I'll just go ask the people that I trust and that aren't going to lecture me on that kind of stuff. But every time I go to any of those places, they try and give me this big constitutional argument that they don't actually understand when in reality it's a hobby, right? What are some of my other hobbies? I like playing video games. And ironically, throughout all of this, video games are one of those hobbies that's coming under fire, right? If tomorrow they pass the legislation saying that I can't play Call of Duty anymore, that's going to piss me off. I'm going to be very upset about that. That's frustrating. I get it. If they passed a law tomorrow saying that I can no longer build RC cars, another hobby of mine, that's going to piss me off. They might have a good reason for it, and if they do, I'll abide by it. But at the end of the day, the day they're, they're hobbies. And for most Americans, guns are a hobby. Guns are a hobby. For the number of guns that we have in this country, which outnumber the number of people that we have in our country. Why are we still having these massive overpopulations of, of animals that we shouldn't? So these people clearly aren't hunting. So for most people, guns are a hobby. And that is okay. That's okay. We all just have to admit that it's okay. Target shooting is fun. Okay? Just if you're going to go target shoot, just clean up after yourself. It's not that fucking hard, okay? But it's fun. It's fun to hold in your hands the power of something that makes you feel like god for 3 seconds. Right? That can be a very addicting feeling. Even people I know that absolutely hate guns, they fear guns, they want to 
the, the very, very, very few people that say that they want to get rid of all the guns, when they go shoot one, they love it. It's fun. It's cool. So it's a hobby. For most people, it's a hobby. And that's okay. That's why I have guns. It's a hobby. I was going to go get a gun last weekend, and I decided not to. And it was a 22, right? Enough, one step up from a BB gun. Okay. It was, that's all I was going to get, just a 22 because it looked cool. And after the shooting happened, I decided against getting the gun. I don't think it was the right time to do that. Okay. So it's okay to admit that, that having guns, shooting guns, that it's a hobby. And you don't want to lose access to your hobby because maybe you've made really good friends in that hobby. Maybe that that hobby has made you money. Maybe that's part of your job. I get it. I understand it's a hobby. Okay. There, there are two guns that I want in my collection. I'll tell you exactly what they are. A Scar S20 that shoots 6.5 Creedmoor or 7.62 by 5.1. I don't care. Uh, I just want a 6.5 because I already have something else that shoots that. And then I want a dragon off. Why do I want those two guns? Because they're two of my favorite guns from video games. Not because I think I'm going to save America by having them. They're cool guns. They fascinate me. They always have. And there's part of me, and this is the worst reason for me to ever have guns, there's a part of me that is really, really regrets the fact that I never uh, joined the military. There's a couple times of my life that I was going to, and I really wish I did. I'm, I'm sad that I didn't. I wish I would have gone back and done that. Um, I mean, I, I think I still can, um, and I probably should just do reserves or something. Um, but I, I, I'm 90% sure that I'm medically disqualified from that, which is unfortunate. And, and, and that is a regret that I have in my life. Um, but that's, you know, that's not really why I, I like guns. Okay. It's a hobby. So I think that having restrictions on that hobby is fine. And so let me give you a quick analogy, right? you know, one hobby that's become very popular recently is, uh, drones, right? Um, UASs, UAVs, whatever you want to call them. Drones are cool. Uh, and the FAA had to come out and set up a bunch of regulations. Why? Because dumbasses were trying to take pictures of Boeing or, uh, Airbus A380s when they're taking off and they were getting sucked into the engine of the airplane and forcing the airplane to, the, to land and causing, Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of damage. Okay. Um, and the other thing people were doing is they were like flying them into, because this is a big issue where I come from, they're flying them into like wildfires. Well, that causes problems because there's helicopters and airplanes that are flying there. And if the drone interrupts in any way, that could be devastating. It could mean a fire burning another 10,000 acres or being put out. And so they've had to say, look, okay, you can own these, but we have to put limits on it. And if you own one that weighs more than this, you actually have to get a special certification for it. 
And that's reasonable, right? I think we can all agree that that's reasonable. And again, most Americans agree that there should be reasonable restrictions on your right to bear arms. So, I think we have to set up restrictions. And how I look at it, this is I look at it from a perspective of responsibility as a parent, right? So as a parent, I have to make decisions for my child on, you know, who he can watch on YouTube. You know, I have to make decisions on what kind of toys can he play with? I'm going to have to make the decision. I thought that was him right there. I have to make the decision on when I'm going to give him his first pocket knife and make the decision on when I'm going to take him out and teach him how to shoot a gun. Um, and, and it's very important to me that I'm the one that does that. You know, I'm going to be the one that has to teach him when he's ready to have a car and drive a car. And there's so many different areas throughout his life that I'm going to have to teach him responsibility and I'm going to have to be the judge of when he is actualized and realized that responsibility. And what has become very apparent to me, especially in the past month, and, and it's been longer than that, it's, it's been the past 20 years I grew up with Columbine, it, it's come to me that we're not at a stage where we have earned the right to own these weapons it's a responsibility issue just because somebody might have the right to do something doesn't mean that they have the ability to do that thing okay not all rights in the constitution are absolute there's no right in the constitution that's absolute even the enumerated ones your freedom of speech is not absolute Right? You can't run into a theater, a crowded theater, and yell fire. That's illegal. It's against the law. You can't run on a plane, plane and yell bomb. That's illegal. There's restrictions there. And the First Amendment is the First Amendment for a fucking reason. Okay? When we talk about order, that's number one for a reason. Okay? It's a, an important thing. Okay? So your freedom of speech isn't absolute. Your freedom of assembly is not absolute. Freedom of petition is not absolute. Freedom of religion is not absolute. And you're, there's going to be a couple of you that are going to come at me and say, no, actually, you're wrong. It is. Well, let me give you an example. If your religion requires the sacrifice of a child, that's not protected under the Constitution. So there's limits there. All right. There's nothing that is absolute. All right? So there's no right that is absolute. Um, and I actually kind of disagree with that statement to somewhat. I think there are rights that are absolute that are very unfortunately being arg argued as if they aren't absolute. Um, but But I think... You know that's that's a different discussion for a different week okay um and even i think within that there are some limits to that okay so um so here's the thing we're, we're not 
for those of us that are gun owners right now, we're not being responsible. Okay. And I'm using the royal we. I'm very responsible, right? Um, I'm not even going to tell you how responsible I am because it would be irresponsible of, you, of me to tell you how responsible I am. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm very responsible with that. Okay. And I know most of my friends that I go to are for advice on guns are very, very responsible owners. But if you've been in the culture of shooting guns and going to ranges and going to gun stores, we all have that one friend that in the back of your mind, you go, I don't think this person should be operating this particular weapon at this time. Right? We've all had that feeling. Okay. If you've been around that, we all know that. Okay. And that could be this person's sketchy or this person is so scared that they're not holding it correctly. You know, they're trying to learn, but they need to start somewhere else. Right. There's a million different reasons why. Okay. I'm not trying to pigeonhole anybody into why they shouldn't own it or be operating it. But we all have that. Okay. And to me, that's the problem. Gun owners have not shown enough responsibility to say, these dumb people keep abusing the privilege that we have to do really bad things. So if that's my kid... And I continue to let my kid do that thing that's irresponsible. And my kid goes out and hurts somebody or worse, kills somebody because I allow my kid to continue to be irresponsible. Whose fault is that? Is it mine or is it his? I'm a lawyer, so I can get down with comparative negligence. Okay. But it's still 90% my fault. Okay. So if you want to look at who is responsible for allowing these kind of shootings to happen and looking at ways that we can better improve the system to help stop this from happening and again, if you're somebody that owns a gun, if you're somebody that enjoys the second amendment protection that you have, and you want to be able to keep owning those cool guns that you have, that they have in video games um, or movies or whatever it is uh, that, that maybe you used in the military or whatever. If you want to strap a 50 cal Barrett to the top of your Jeep for the hell of it, then we have to do a better job of making sure that people that are going to misuse those cannot misuse them. So the onus falls on the people that own the guns to make sure that they're creating a culture, to making sure that there's an understanding that people are appropriately using these, as people have told me before, and this is a dumb argument, these tools appropriately. Okay? That's our obligation. 
That's that's what we as gun owners owe to the rest of society. Not that just we will be safe, but we're going to make sure that people that aren't being safe can't use those guns. Okay? We have to be introspective. It's our responsibility. We have to be introspective. And if we can't be responsible and we can't help take charge, and I know that's a big task, we can't be responsible for everybody in every case and every situation. And I understand that argument. And guess what? All that argument does is says that, well, then we should probably just restrict those arms. It sucks. I don't like that. But guess what? That's probably what we're going to have to do. Okay? What I would like to see, I would like to see a federal law, and this there's no way that this could be a federal law. It would have to be a state law. But I would like to see a federal law, or better put, I would like to see all 50 states enact a law it says if you use a gun while under the influence of any substance that you will receive equal punishment to what you would receive if you were caught driving drunk. And that if you're out target shooting in the national forest and the ranger comes along that you have the ranger has a right to give you a breathalyzer test. And that if you don't take that breathalyzer test, then you lose the right to use guns for a year. And all of your guns have to be impounded for that year. And they, gain, they have impound fees for the entire time that they're there. And then we make one of those little devices that you have to blow into when you drive a car to make sure that you're not drunk or when you use your guns for the next two years. And if you're drunk and you use a gun and you kill somebody, mandatory five years. That's a really simple law. And who the fuck is going to say no to that? Seriously, who's going to say no to that? You can't shoot guns when you're drunk. Oh my God. That's not unreasonable. Right? There's a few people that are hillbillies that are going to be pissed off about that. But they're also pissed off about the fact that they can't drive drunk. Okay? But that's a safety concern. That's one regulation that I would like to see that I think pretty much everybody can agree with. The next one I would like to see deeper background checks. And this one's tricky. And I go back and forth on this. Okay? Because it's hard. And so it, it's kind of funny because part of my new job is to to look at at privacy in a lot of different aspects and um so one of the big questions and and when people bring this up that it's it's actually a mental health issue it's not a guns issue um and i think there's some validity to that argument i don't think it's the entirety of the argument but i think there's some validity to that um it's really hard to force somebody to reveal, to identify, or to admit to certain mental health issues. 
right? So some states have what are called red flag laws. And so if if you feel like somebody that owns a gun um is acting weird and they need to have their guns taken away from a little from them for a little while, then you can call and and they'll do like a wellness check and see if you're right. And the problem is a lot of that got abused um and was not used correctly from both sides. And that sucks. And I, I don't I mean I, I I like the idea of that law, right? As Republicans love to say, see something, say something. Um and so I, I think there's it's a good idea, but it just in practice it doesn't work out. In practice it just doesn't work out. So there's gotta be a better pathway. And we have to keep looking for a better pathway. Um to understand that and and like i said that's a, that's our responsibility as gun owners is to help make that assessment because we should all be knowledgeable and if if we see somebody who's not abiding by appropriate knowledge that we need to do something to make sure that that action is corrected or that they don't have access to guns right uh and that's hard to do right what are you going to do go threaten somebody holding a gun right? <laughs> it sounds crazy. And it is. And and that gets to the, the, the compounding of the problem. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see a little bit deeper background checks that include things like mental health. But the law says that you can't require anybody to do that, right? The only places where I've seen that be acceptable is in cases of national security. So if I go try and work for the cia and they sit me down and say no you're crazy i can't work for the cia and i can't sue them because they can't have somebody that's crazy working for them even though they do all the time so it's hard because you can't constitutionally ask somebody that and we'd have to basically leave it up to the courts to determine whether or not that meets the threshold for enough public safety to say yeah um you know, if you get a gun, you do in fact have to take a a you know mental health test of some sort um, to to get a gun. But at the end of the day, they're really easy to bypass because it's mental health, and we know jack shit about the brain. We just don't know much about the brain at all, so that becomes problematic, right? Um, so yeah. It, it it raises a lot of constitutional questions. And again, I don't think it's super effective um, because people are going to get around it if they want to either way. I mean, it asks the question on the, the, the license that, that you have to fill out to get a gun. But honestly, if you take Prozac and you have a gun, did you disclose that you take Prozac and that you have a gun? No. Well, guess what? 80% of gun deaths are suicides. Kind of interesting, huh? So that leads us to the last thing. My last suggestion, okay? I think there needs to be mandatory licensing requirements that say that you have to pass certain classes in order to get different types of guns, right? You have to pass a driver's test to get a car, to get your driver's license. Um, and there's a lot of requirements that go into that, depending on what state you're in. Why not apply that to guns, right? You want to go get a hunting rifle? You have to pass hunter safety, okay? 
and you have to pass with a beer better. And there has to be some agency that vets the exam to make sure that it's a valid exam. Right? Make it free. Use taxpayer money so that if you want to go get your gun license, it doesn't cost you any money. Maybe like $25 administrative fee. It's not something that has to be expensive. But you have to go take the class and you have to pass the test. You want to own a handgun? You have to take an exam. And you have to pass a close quarters combat exam. And what I mean is an actual live exam. Okay, not live ammo, but maybe live fire, like, you know, blanks or something like that. But you actually have to go in and, and be able to analyze a situation in a house in order to own a handgun. Okay. You want to own an assault type rifle. Military training. You know, there's some kind of class that you have to take and, and this there's a there's a place in Arizona and I don't want to give their name away because they've kind of become they used to be very reputable about 20 years ago um and then they became overly political and now they're just not as good as they used to be but there's a place that is around where I live that had some really really phenomenal classes where um like the FBI, the SEALs, all kinds of really crazy people would go train how to do things. Um, and so they offered really great classes. Um, and then, you know, if you want to own a fully automatic weapon, you have to go through further testing, further examinations. Education is so important that if we can learn how to educate these people, um, I, I think you're going to see a severe reduction in gun violence. If you can just educate people better and if you make the education mandatory and there's a lot of states that do require hunter safety and different things you know concealed carry permits that require classes and all kinds of things but um if you've ever taken traffic school it's like that you know you don't really have to do anything it's something where the standard has to be a little bit higher uh, but even that runs into some inherently discriminatory practices. And so that can conflict with the Constitution. But I think, to me, that's one of the best things that we can do. So I think I'm like, yeah, I'm in a, a, an hour and a half. And so I've been, been talking way too much. And I would love to keep going on to this topic. Um, but I think I hit all of the things that I wanted to talk about. Um, so I just wanted to quickly kind of summarize... Um, the one thing I didn't really get to is, is direct restrictions of gum guns. Um, but I think I kind of hit the nail on the head when I say that we haven't earned the responsibility to own things like fully automatic weapons. And I kind of frankly don't think that we've earned the responsibility to own semi-automatic rifles. Um, so that's kind of where I'll leave that. So, uh, again, first thing, if you're a gun owner, you have a greater responsibility than people that don't own guns. And that's to make sure that those people are safe from you and from other people that might be shooting guns. So if you see people that are irresponsibly using their firearms, say something. Okay? Tell the police, you know, take a video, record it, blast them on YouTube, call the cops, you know, do something so that we can get that person either properly educated, get them mental health resources that they need, um, 
or just make sure that they don't have access. And again, a big problem with that is that's not quick. It's not a fast response. But a lot of these people that have gone gone and, and committed these horrific shootings in the past, you know, couple months, almost all of them had time at the range. They were shooting guns. They were talking to people and maybe they were acting perfectly. So you couldn't tell, but I don't know. You know, it's a hard thing to do. Um, because there's, there's so many other laws that conflict, but we have to find that balance of what's more important to us as a country. Do we want to save kids or do we want to save our right to bear arms? And that's unfortunately a really shitty way to put it. And unfortunately a very, um, sad fact that we have to determine. So, so cease, you know, be responsible gun owner. Um, help in, enlighten, help teach other people that may not know much about guns um, in a non-forceful way, you know, help help them out. Um, and if they don't want to be helped out, then then go tell the authorities. Um, two, you know, I think we have need to have at least a, a re-examination of, of the process in order to get guns and that any transfer should be recorded. And, and frankly, that there's a lot of people that just think that that's going to cause too much of a headache. It's not. In fact, if you ever sell guns, you want to make sure you have a complete transaction of that. Why? Because if you sell somebody a gun without any papers, they pay cash for it and they go out and commit a crime. Well, guess what? Now you're responsible for that crime too. Cool. Good luck. So it's a good idea. It's something people that are going to, people are going to do anyways. So just enforce it a little bit further. And then finally, education and make education mandatory and licensing mandatory for everybody based on the type of gun that they want to get, you know, um, and, and, and do it in a way that's not prohibitively expensive uh, and, and is, is as non-discriminatory as possible. So that's, that's kind of my three-step process to help addressing this issue. Um, and again, I, I, at the end of the day, I think that we're going to have to either uh, regulate magazine sizes or just um, semi-automatic rifles in general. Um, and I don't want to see that, you know, like I said, I want to own one of those, <laughs> but at the end of the day, if, if me not being able to own my scar 20 S 6.5 Creedmoor makes it. So some sixth grader uh, or, or fifth grader or fourth grader or third grader or whatever gets to live another day, I don't need it that bad. Okay. So, um, so that's, you know, that's me. That's my opinion. That's, that's kind of how it is. So, um, like I said, I, I hope that I've given you some, some good factual basis, um, for stuff. I hope that you don't feel like I've been trying to preach to you about anything. Um, and I hope, I hope you'll see where I'm coming from. I hope that you'll agree with me. Uh, and if, if you don't agree with me and you want to bring up points to me, please do. I want to hear what you have to say um, because either I can educate you more on something on something, or maybe you can educate me on something. Um, so, so, you know, let's engage in, in appropriate discussion. That's not just ad hominem attacks. All right. All right. Next week, I promise you that 
we will one actually have a podcast and some streams next week they're going to be evening streams streams again so I'll, I'll be going back to do that so hopefully we'll have a few more of you there um and then two um uh next next podcast will be on something that is not political i promise you and i will do better to keep it to um an hour instead of an hour and a half so i, I apologize for for taking so long but thank you for listening for those of you that are watching live thank you i see that there's at least one of you watching live i appreciate it i appreciate you all hopefully someday this will be my only job but your boy's got to be a little bit more consistent am i right anyways be safe out there have a great rest of your weekend week weekday whatever it is that you're listening to Love you all out there. Be safe. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for, uh, for checking in.